Hey, good morning. And uh, if I can get it to stay on my ear, that'd be even better. Glad that you're here today, uh, mothers and ladies in general. You know, um, as you leave today, Pastor Kirk mentioned there's some flowers here. And whether you're a mom or not, ladies, you're welcome to take one, take it home, plant it outside. And uh, I know today can be a hard day for some, too. Uh, we went through that for a number of years, and my wife Hannah did. She's, she's homesick today, by the way. So, And uh, she texted me, Lonnie, what a great mom she has taking care of bringing Charlie this morning. And so thank you. And, um, uh, but yeah, I know that it can be a really discouraging and hard day for some. So, so come, we, we love you still. Your identity is not based in whether or not you're a mom. Amen. It's in Jesus Christ. So, uh, with that, let's look at what, uh, Jesus little brother James has to say. We're going to be in James chapter two today. Uh, before we get there, let me pray. And then we're just going to dive right in today into James chapter two. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him, and uh, Lord, for your grace to us through through your word. And um, Lord, the book of James is uh, is just very vivid in the things that it tells us to do and not to do. And uh, in all of James' illustrations, he, he makes some pretty clear points that are hard to miss, and he draws some big distinctions to make his point. We'll see that today. Um, and Lord, as we look at the text, uh, would you teach us not to be people who show favorites or play favorites, um, but to show mercy instead? Holy Spirit, I pray that even as I teach, you would teach me and that you might choose to use me again today. And uh, that we would leave encouraged and living uh, more like Jesus. I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. Lord, he takes your word and he twists it or uh, he distracts us onto a point that isn't the main point. And um, would you not let that happen today, but instead uh, uh, zero our hearts in on what you want to teach us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 2 is where we're at today. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and read through the whole text with you. Uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And then we'll back out and we'll kind of unpack it from there. Sound good? All right, let's read. Here's what James writes. He says, my brothers. Now remember, I told you, uh, every time that James says, my brothers or my beloved brothers, and couples it with a command, both of those things together, he's starting a new unit of thought, a new section. So here's, here's our clue. James has something else to tell us. My brothers, and he means brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing, and you say, "Uh, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you commit adultery, but do not murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the word of the Lord. And uh, James chapter 2 is writing uh, to his brothers and sisters in the faith. James is written at around uh, 45 AD, uh, less than 15 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. We're only about 10 years or so into the existence of the church. And what happens if you read the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 7 and 8, a great persecution comes on the church. Stephen gets stoned for his faith. And uh, in chapter 8, everybody gets driven out of Jerusalem, or many of the Christians do. They end up scattered all over. Imagine if uh, uh, next Sunday I was stoned while I'm standing here, and then everybody in Milford and Syracuse got scattered out around the area because it was too dangerous to live here as a Christian. It's a very real possibility someday, by the way. Um, But that's what happens here. And James then, as the pastor of this church, is writing to all of the people who are part of his church that have now been scattered. And he says, my brothers, uh, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's his main point. James, had, James unleashes the main point right away. And now he's going to take the next 12 verses to unpack it and uh, to explain it to his church, to his people and to us. First off, what's that word partiality mean? Maybe your translation says favoritism. Uh, The title of the message today is Don't Play Favorites. You ever do that when you were a little kid? You you knew how it was, right, on the playground? There are just some kids who played favorites. And it's no fun unless you're one of the favorites. And if you're not, if you're the, the chubby kid who nobody likes, then guess what? I don't know that nobody liked me, but I was the chubby kid. Um... It's no fun when people play favorites. Anybody else been there? And James is, you know, but and we know it's not just some, it's not just a kids game that happens in real life today. See, James says, "My brothers, show no partiality. In other words, no discrimination, no favoritism." Uh, there's a favoritism, evidently, that's being shown in some of these congregations that James is writing to. Um. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, then James says, this is the, only the second time James refers to his brother. And look at what he calls him. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Would you ever say that about your big brother? James clearly had been convinced of the deity of his older brother, Jesus. And uh, that's an amazing statement and a testimony to who Jesus is. But he is the Lord of glory. In in Acts 15, when James preaches, he also says, or when he he teaches, he also says, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just an amazing statement. See, look what he says. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's saying, listen, as Christians, there is no room for partiality. It's totally contrary to the faith you hold in Jesus Christ. To play favorites is just, it's wrong. It's sin, in fact, he's going to say. He's even going to compare it to the sin of adultery and of murder later in the text. That's a serious sin to be playing 
favorites. And uh, he, he's actually echoing Leviticus chapter 19, James is. Are you familiar with Leviticus chapter 19? I figured you probably weren't. So let's look at part of it. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19 gives instruction for uh, how courts should take place and how uh, people uh, should be judged or not judged in the assembly. And it says, you shall do no injustice in court. This thing will not stay. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Your translation might say to the rich. But in righteousness... Shall you judge your neighbor? Rightly shall you judge your neighbor, in other words. This was a command for judges and for leaders in Israel. And, and what, what Leviticus, what Moses is saying in Leviticus, what God is telling his people is, don't judge on appearances. Don't, uh, don't, defer, uh, don't be partial to the poor and, and don't defer to the rich. Uh, everybody's on a level playing field. Judge them equally. Judge with righteousness. Judge Rightly, And James is echoing this same statement when he says, show no partiality among you. Show no favoritism among you. And, and what we're going to see here is James is going to lay out three primary reasons why we shouldn't show favoritism. Why we shouldn't show favoritism. Uh, the Christians should not play favorites, is what he's saying. And then he's going to unpack it and he's going to give us three reasons why. Uh, but one thing I noticed right away is... Uh, do you know the Lord shows no favorites? The Lord plays no favorites, does he? We're going to see that this morning. Even in choosing of Samuel, or choosing of David, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. But the main point's very clear. Don't play favorites in church, or really anywhere as a Christian. Don't show partiality. It's, it's not right according to the faith that you hold in Jesus. So let's go look now over these next 12 verses on how James illustrates this truth and the, the reasons he gives us why we shouldn't play favorites. By the way, dads, um, play favorites, though, today with mom. Right? Today you've got permission. There's one area where you should show some favoritism today. But, you know, that's not favoritism, is it? That's honor. And we're going to see that too, that there's a difference between those things. But anyway, let's keep going. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring, James gives vivid illustrations. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say something else to the poor man, but let's let's unpack that first verse. He says, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly... That word assembly, if you could see it in Greek, the Greek word is actually synagogain. Synagogain. Does that sound like anything? Synagogue. (laughs) He says, if anybody comes into the synagogue, you know, this is the only time in the Bible that that word is translated assembly and not synagogue. In other words, what James is saying to these Jewish Christians, uh, in the place you're meeting, in the building you're meeting in, during your assembly, assembly is likely used simply because it, it reiterates that he's writing to Christians and not Jewish uh, un- unbelievers. But he's writing to Jewish Christians, Jewish converts, and they're meeting at the synagogue. James is referring to their assembly in a physical place. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, the early church didn't meet in buildings. Eh. They met in houses. True. And a house 
so, so two responses. One, a house is a building. And two, right here, they're meeting in a synagogue. They met in buildings, just like the Jewish people did. It isn't something new with like the last 500 years or something like that that some people try to tell you. They, they met in, in specific places. Now, not all of them did, but many did. But he says, if somebody comes in and he says uh, he's wearing a gold ring, literally, this is a gold-fingered man. So we're going to call him Goldfinger. You didn't know that James' last name was Bond, did you? Huh? You didn't see that one coming. But it's, it's what it says. Wearing a gold ring is literally a gold-fingered man. And then look, also, not only does he come in to the assembly, into the synagogue, into your meeting, into the church, but then a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. The word for shabby here is based on the same root word that James used last week in 121 for moral filth, for filthiness. In other words, he comes in with filthy clothing. Not just shabby, not just downtrodden, but uh, he's filthy. He stinks. Uh, so we're going to call him homeless guy. Because, and I, and I don't mean that to be uh, derogatory towards him, but when I was a student in Chicago, uh, you would see homeless people all over, and, and their clothing, it was, they were stuck on the streets, it was filthy. They couldn't shower, they couldn't, unless they made it to a shelter, right? And literally, it was just filthiness. So we've got this homeless man, and we've got Goldfinger. <laughs> Could you have two greater contrasts by James? He's, he's making a very vivid contrast here so that we don't miss his point. Somebody who's homeless and somebody who's unbelievably wealthy walks in. How do you treat them? He draws a major contrast. He says, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing, verse 3, and you say, hey, sit here in a good place. So uh, the rich man comes in and uh, somebody notices him on the connections team. One of the greeters notices, hey, I, that guy... I see his, you know, people in that day, they would actually wear multiple rings on their fing, on the same finger. And so this guy might've been decked out with gold rings and they see him come in and they go, Hmm, I see, bling, bling. Right. I mean, this guy's got some wealth and we're in the middle of a building campaign. Let's give him a good seat up front. So you treat him like that. Right. By the way, it was common then as it is today uh, for uh, visitors to enter the church and worship service. In fact, most commentators agree that these two men, when James is telling this story, it's implied that they're actually unbelievers who are coming to visit the worship service. John MacArthur writes this in his commentary. He says, from the context, it seems likely that the imaginary man in James' illustration is a visiting unbeliever. It was common then, as it is today, for visitors, unbelievers, to show up to a worship gathering. And just as they were welcomed then, so they are welcomed today, and our services and our preaching should be sensitive to their presence. So James, says, James isn't saying, don't be sensitive to them, don't care for them if they're new, if they come in, uh, but, but careful how you show partiality, because he goes on. So the, the rich guy gets a good seat, but then uh, look what happens with the poor man. While you say to the poor man, uh, to the homeless guy, you say, why don't, you know, why don't you just stand back here, standing room only? Or why don't you uh, sit down there at, uh, on the floor? <laughs> Could you have, again, big contrast, right? The rich guy gets a great seat. The poor guy gets uh, standing room only or seated on the floor. 
Now, let me show you a picture here of a Jewish synagogue. This actually dates back to the 4th century. This is in Capernaum, and it's called the White Synagogue, if you want to look it up online because of the color of the stone. And it's likely, most, most uh, uh, archaeologists believe that the synagogue Jesus taught in is buried underneath this because it would have crumbled. They, they bulldozed it, in a sense, built right on top of it. But we'll never find out for sure because nobody's going to dig underneath this one and move it out of the way to dig, Right. But it gives you an idea of what it looked like. It was not a big room. There were columns. You're looking towards the front. Along each side, there were benches. And then one of the other, for people to sit at, and then one of the other things is in the front of the room, there would have been a, a, a few benches for uh, some of the, the people of honor to sit in. The rabbis, the teachers, the scribes would have sat up front. And so what James is saying is, so the rich guy comes in uh, to your assembly, into your synagogue, and you see him and you show partiality and you go, you know what? Why don't you come sit down front? In fact, you can just take the rabbi's seat right here and moves him way down front on a good seat. And then the poor man comes in and he says, uh, they, they say, you know what? Why don't you just, you kind of you stink today. You need a shower. Why don't you stand in the back? not bother anybody, or uh, maybe why don't you just sit here on the floor so it's not, not a problem. Major partiality, right? Major playing of favorites that's happening in the church. Look what James says. When you've done this, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Not, not like Leviticus says, a judge who judges righteously and rightly, but a judge with evil thoughts that's only looking on the outward appearance. That's, that's, that's wrong, James says. James says that to show partiality is evil. It's an evil thought to look at someone and make a judgment strictly by what your eye sees. Remember our theme in James, he's contrasting wisdom from above versus uh, wisdom from below. And clearly, he seems to make the point here right away that wisdom from below is evil, it's sin, it's playing favorites. And so the first reason here in this first illustration that James gives us not to play favorites is that playing favorites is wickedness. To play favorites, to show favoritism is wickedness. And James paints this very vivid picture for us, right? The super wealthy guy, the super poor guy. And, and he says, basically, don't judge by outward appearances. Because when you do that, you're buying into wisdom from below. In fact, you're evil and you need to stop. Stop it. Stop showing favoritism. Now, before we keep going, though, we really need to understand what James is not saying, don't we? Because if, if we leave this definition of favoritism too broad, uh, we come up with some wrong interpretations or understandings. So here's some things James is not saying when he says, don't play favorites. He's not saying that we should never honor certain people. He's not. Uh, a day like today, Mother's Day, right? We honor you, Mom. We honor you, ladies. We should do that all the time. Uh, but Hallmark decided that maybe we should needed a reminder of it. And so now we celebrate it one day every year in a big way. But I hope it's not the only day that you show honor to her. Um, the Bible is clear that certain people are due honor. James isn't saying don't show honor. Uh, you should honor your parents. You should honor your elders. You should honor your pastors. You should honor government officials. In fact, in, in 1 Peter, Peter writes, he says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Love the church. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Uh, 
In other words, for us, honor the president, no matter whether you like him or not. Honor him. He's not saying also uh, that we shouldn't defer to certain people. Did you know some people are smarter than you? Some people are smarter than me. Uh, A lot of people, actually. And some people are better at things than I am and better at things than you are. And we can learn from them. And so we should defer to them at times based on their skill. That's not showing favoritism. That's showing wisdom. He's also not saying that we shouldn't pursue certain people for certain tasks. Again, along those same lines, some of us are gifted different than each other, aren't we? And, and James here, he talks about the rich but, um, and the poor. And, and one, one way I, I think about this, too, in terms of, of um, uh, pursuing certain people, um, you know, if we're, if we're looking for somebody else to sing, like Landon was singing this morning, right, for the first time, did a great job. We get to hear him again. And uh, we pursued him because somebody heard his voice and said, he can sing. Well, um, at the same time, maybe uh, there's, other, there's other areas where you pursue certain people based on their gifting. Hey, they're, they're really good at kids. We should pursue them to serve in the nursery. Or uh, maybe, uh, you know what? They seem to be very good with managing their money. We should pursue them to serve on our treasury team in the church. To pursue people isn't showing favoritism. To, to pursue people is, is good based on their gifting. God's given us all different gifts. He's also not saying that we shouldn't be discerning or that we should never judge. He's just saying don't judge with partiality. Judge with righteousness. Judge rightly according to God's word. See, uh, Jesus said, and he's echoing his older brother here as well. Jesus said, do not judge, John 7 verse 24, by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He's referencing uh, Leviticus chapter 19 as well. Um, When you're discerning and wise, uh, or when you're not discerning and wise, people get hurt by your judgment, don't they? So we need to judge rightly. Random thing here. When you hear the word discernment, though, just beware. Like if some people use this word uh, as a cover to judge the church. And if you're, for instance, if, if you get on a, a blog sometime and you're reading and the author describes himself as a discernment blogger, or it says a blog of discernment, about 50 red flags should go up for you. Because really, I've never seen one yet that wasn't just somebody absolutely bashing the church. Usually it's a cover for, I, I think I'm right, I think everybody else is wrong, and I've got an agenda to push. I'm a discernment blogger, don't criticize me. Beware if you find a link like that. Just beware. I'm not saying all of them are, but beware. They, they probably need to read James chapter 2. Um, and, and it just saddens me when people wrongly judge and bash the church. I guess that's why that probably comes to mind right away, even as I say that word. It, it, it hurts my heart that, that sometimes people think for some reason or another that, that they uh, have the right way entirely in terms of this narrow area of doctrine. James says, no, don't, don't judge in that filter. Judge rightly. Don't judge with partiality. Judge rightly, right? Finally, James isn't making, we'll talk about this in a moment too, isn't making a statement that rich is good or poor is bad. We'll get that into that in a moment. What James is saying is we shouldn't judge by appearances because appearances are deceiving. And to play favorites is wickedness. 
The second reason he gives us, not only is playing favorites wickedness, but playing favorites, uh, God doesn't play favorites. Before the Lord, before the gospel, everyone is on an equal footing. Verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? James is building now off that vivid illustration he gave us of the rich guy and the poor guy coming in to the worship services. And he he says, um, when we play favorites, we're judging by outward appearances. We're judging on fickle things. And when we do this, we're not like God. We're not like Jesus, whom we were named for. You were named for him, Christian. Did you know that? You're a Christ one. You're like Jesus. You're named after him. So, So don't be unlike him in the way that you judge. Don't, don't show favoritism or partiality. God doesn't play favorites. Jesus plays no favorites. You don't believe me? Well, look at the text here. Look at what the Bible says. Look at Romans chapter 2. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For verse 11, God shows no partiality, does he? He shows no partiality. How about Deuteronomy chapter 10 in the Old Testament, verse 17, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Everyone's on equal footing because God's not partial. We shouldn't be partial. Amen. We should be like him. Uh, First Peter. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each, one de- each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, throughout the, your time here on earth. Ephesians, Paul says, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Colossians 3, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. And of course, Galatians chapter 3, before the throne of Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you get the point? There's no partiality, no favoritism with God. When he judges, he judges rightly. He judges rightly. That's what James is saying. Don't, don't show favorites because it's, it's not becoming of the God you claim to worship and of the name that you bear. Uh, Some have wrongly declared here that James is saying that poor is good and rich is bad. That poor people get saved, rich people go to hell. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's building on his previous illustration. And look at what he's saying. He says, um, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? In other words, you judge on the outward appearance. You see this guy who's poor and he comes in and you say, Mm, once you sit in the back, but God, when he looks at him, doesn't look at, at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And, and he's made uh, many of the poor to be heirs of the kingdom. How dare you judge them like that? How dare you judge a brother or sister that way? When God's declared them heirs of the kingdom. He's promised to those who love him. See, the categories that God is concerned with here are not rich and poor. It's, it's wicked and righteous. See, sometimes we wrongly think that uh, if you're, we read this, and, and people have taught this, sadly, that, that the, to be poor is to be righteous, to be, wick, or to be rich is to be wicked. But God doesn't make that distinction. 
In fact, he, he uses a lot of rich people who were righteous. Because uh, that's not the category. It's not rich versus poor. It's wicked versus righteous. See, there's poor who are wicked and there's rich who are wicked. There's poor who are righteous and there's rich who are righteous. So James' point isn't rich or good, poor or bad. He's just, uh, don't judge with partiality. That's his point. And, and it, he, he draws a huge distinction. Don't judge between the poor and the rich because you're being partial on outward appearances. Look at the heart. Because some of the poor are righteous, but some are wicked. Some of the rich are righteous, but some are wicked. Judge rightly. Judge rightly. Verse 6, for you have dishonored, he goes on, uh, you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? He's like, it doesn't even make sense why you would do that. Because in their day, they were poor after being sent out from Jerusalem, being persecuted. And the rich were, were persecuting them. Are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? His big idea is God doesn't show partiality. So why are you? To play favorites is wickedness. God doesn't play favorites. And then he goes on, a third reason, God's law doesn't play favorites. Because if you break any of it, you break all of it. Look what he says in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. You know, this is the only place in the Bible that this term royal law shows up. Like if you did a Google search and tried to find it in the Bible, you wouldn't find it anywhere else but in James. What it means is a kingly law. A law declared or issued by the king. See, because when the king made an edict, when the king made a law, when he declared something, uh, it was law and it must be followed. Um, well, who's our king? Jesus is, right? And what does Jesus declare to be the law? Well, um, Actually, let's finish reading what James says, because he goes, If you show partiality, you're committing sin, and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. And then in verse 10, uh, he goes on to say, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Has become accountable for all of it. So he says, keep the royal law. Well, look at what Jesus says in, uh, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Uh, Jesus is being attacked by the Pharisees, and they're trying to trap him. They want him to show uh, some partiality in the law. And, and they, they heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. They said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Asking of over 600 commands, which one's the greatest? They wanted to trap him. They're thinking, if he says this one, we're going to come back with this one. If he says that one, we're going to come back with these four. And Jesus says, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 there. And he says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, verse 40, depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is like, there's no picking or choosing in the law. It's whole. There's no partiality in the law, even in terms of choosing what you obey and what you don't obey, and in terms of how it applies to everyone. And James is bringing this up again to reiterate his point of not showing favoritism. But Jesus says, he says, let me show you how unified it is. If you do uh, these two things, you keep the entire law. See, look at verse verse 9. Uh, James says, if you show partiality, though, you don't love the love the 
love your neighbor as yourself, which is the royal law. It's the law given by edict, by our king, by Jesus. Then you're committing sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. It shows no partiality. You're, you're accountable to all of it, James says. It's like breaking a window. You ever break a window? If, if you just throw a pebble at it and there's a little crack in the corner, have you broken the whole window? Yep. Or if you take a baseball and you throw it through the middle and it shatters into a, a million pieces, have you broken the whole window? Yes. It doesn't matter. It, it's a whole. It's, it's unified. There's no, no partiality, no matter if you, you sin in a big way or in a small way. If you sin, you've broken the law. You've broken all of it. And James says uh, the law shows no partiality. It, it can't be broken apart. And it, it's impartial in terms of how it's applied to people. So you should show no partiality. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do commit adultery, but if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've still become a transgressor of the law. Last week, uh, James uh, lumped in anger with moral filth and rampant wickedness. This week, he lumps in uh, playing favorites with adultery and murder. We shouldn't play favorites. It's wickedness. God doesn't play favorites. His word doesn't play favorites. We're all on equal footing And finally, then, James gives us wisdom from above. He says, instead, do this. Look at verse 12 and 13. So instead, speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. See, the royal law gives freedom. It gives liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy tri- and mercy triumphs over judgment. James is saying, you know how you conquer showing partiality and favoritism? Show mercy. Instead of playing favorites, show mercy. Wisdom from below is playing favorites. It's judging outwardly with my eyes what I think. But you know what you ought to do? You know what wisdom from above is? It's to show mercy. It's to show mercy. Not to judge, but to show mercy. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, just as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Uh, James wraps this up by saying, listen, in in every walk of life, and Paul confirms it, show mercy. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. Do you have a merciful spirit towards people? Are you quick to judge and quick to show favoritism and quick to try to be the one who's right? Don't play favorites, loved ones. There's no place for that in the life of a Christian. It's wickedness. God plays no favorites. His law plays no favorites. Instead, we should show mercy. Amen? Now, this passage this week, preparing for it, it was kind of one of those where it's like, it's so clear from the text, how in the world do you preach on that and make it any better? Just don't show favorites. Show mercy. So let's live that this week. Um, Let me pray. uh, We're going to take communion together and then take our offering and sing together. 
and then we'll call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus and for your grace to us through him. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you don't play favorites, that you are an impartial judge. And um, not only are you impartial in your judgment, but you're impartial in the way that you give grace and in the way that you give mercy. Father, help me to be a man who shows mercy and grace to people. Help us as a church to be a church where when people come in and they see the phrase, you are loved, they would experience it. Not experience favoritism, not experience partiality, but experience uh, your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, I pray for those today who hear my voice who've maybe never um, uh, claimed your mercy and your grace uh, as their own in faith. Um, Maybe today would be the day they would do that. And uh, Lord, your gospel is a great leveling field for all of uh, our sins and all the conditions of life. And uh, we're all equal before you at the foot of the cross. And anyone who would come to you and confess their sin and confess, Jesus, that you are Lord and that you raised from the grave, they'd be saved. Anyone. So I pray anyone who hears that this morning, Lord, would make that choice for themselves. Father, we love you. We pray now as we sing and as we take communion, we'd remember your mercy and your grace to us. And uh, that we would uh, show it to others with no partiality. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.